Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. I'm Megan Shoffrey, a film student at Edinburgh University and a local filmmaker. And I'm Stuart Nash, filmmaker, educator, and director of the Greater Erie Film Office. This week's episode, we will be talking about the movie Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is screening at the Bourbon Barrel Wednesday, April 3rd, as part of our downtown dinner in a movie series this week, sponsored by Joe and Betsy Paturiak. <laughs> our guest, Jesse Olszewski, actor, filmmaker, board member of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania, and we'll be talking with our roundtable about the Pennsylvania Films Tax Credit. If you've ever been to Film Grain Dinner and a Movie Event in downtown Erie, Pennsylvania, you need to get down there. We've got a big 16-foot screen, a great buffet with vegetarian and vegan options available. There's couch and table service all night long. Good company. Again, it's located at the Bourbon Barrel, 1213 State Street, Erie, Pennsylvania. You can get tickets at the Film Society, nwpa.org. You can reserve tables for $12 and couch seats for $15. John, let's talk about Can You Ever Forgive Me? Let's talk about it briefly. Briefly. Good movie. Good movie. Funny movie. I uh, saw it. You saw it? Yeah, Melissa McCarthy. And what did you think? I thought it was hysterical. I thought Richard Grant should have won the Oscar, personally. I love Richard Grant a he lot. Was, he was the probably not the best part of the movie, but every time he was in a scene, he stole it. He's a great supporting actor. He's everything you would hope for in a supporting actor. So it was nominated for three Academy Awards for Best Actress for Melissa McCarthy, uh, Supporting Actor for Richard E. Grant, as you mentioned, Stu, and it was also nominated for Screenplay. I would have also considered um, Best Director. I thought it was really well executed. True. Uh, it just doesn't have that Hollywood main theme, you know what I mean? That but mainstream. Fine. Yeah. But no, but it was why good. why not? You know? Yeah, well, it and was it would up have been against nice, some hard competition. would have been nice to have nominated a woman director, I think. Could have sure. been nice as well. Um, so this is an adaptation of Lee Israel's autobiography. Melissa McCarthy is playing Lee Israel, who was a real American author. She's known for this story now, uh, but she was known for doing profiles on well-known celebrities for top magazines during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Fanny Bryce. <laughs> Fanny Bryce. I have no idea what... Funny. Oh, oh, your reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, right. That was the one yeah, she was yeah. working on the whole time. She got in trouble um, with Estee Lauder, um, which kind of tanked her career. Her book that she did on Estee Lauder um, was very poorly received. And so to make money, she began forging um, a number of letters. It's estimated over 400 letters that she forged by deceased writers and actors. And then she began stealing actual letters and autographed papers of famous people from libraries and archives and replaced them with forged copies that she made. So this is um, the story of her being discovered. They painted a real pathetic picture of her in the beginning, like she had no other resort or recourse to uh, to follow this path. But, uh, but yeah, it was good. Uh, so my recommendations for, uh, they're actually not related recommendations. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit, but you spoke of your uh, enjoyment of Richard E. Grant's work. So I'm going to reference two movies. The first movies I saw that starred Richard E. Grant from the 80s that I really love and highly recommend 
I actually didn't check to see if these are available on any of the streaming services. Maybe while I'm rambling here for a minute, somebody can look up With Nail and I uh, from 1987 and How to Get Ahead in Advertising, 1989. So With Nail and I is um, these two gentlemen uh, that go on a retreat to the countryside, and they are uh, doing all kinds of drugs the entire time, and uh, it's just a blast of a film. If you've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you may have an idea of what to expect for With Nail and I. Richard E. Grant plays With Nail. And How to Get Ahead in Advertising is ridiculous. I'm just going to read the uh, synopsis for um, how to get ahead in advertising. And all of you weird people listening to this should seek this one out. A brilliant young advertising executive who can't come up with a slogan to sell a revolutionary new pimple cream is obsessed worrying about the effects not only affects his relationship and his wife, but his friends, his boss, and also his body. Graphically demonstrated when he grows a large stress-related boil on his shoulder. But when the boil grows eyes and a mouth and starts talking, you wonder if he's lost his mind. It's amazing. That sounds bizarre. <laughs> and it looks like they aren't available to rent. Looks like you're going to have to buy them. But the With Nail and I is in the Criterion Collection. Great. Yeah. So that's good to know. Awesome. So that's uh, our film of the week and some ridiculous recommendations. All right, we are here with Jesse Olszewski, or you may know him as Jesse James. Uh, all right, Jesse, give us some of your background story. Uh, I'm a native of Erie, grew up here, went to Mercy Hearst Prep for four years, as all high schoolers do, did a lot of theater, and got really into acting and performing, and towards the end of high school, got very into performing magic as a magician around town, and was pretty dead set on moving to Las Vegas. And at the last second, I decided that I really wanted to act instead, and I ended up going to Hollywood instead, where I lived for four years, did film acting out there, nothing you've ever heard of, don't go looking, you, you won't find it. Uh, a lot of extra work, a lot of student films. I was on Disney Channel briefly, uh, but overall, it was a great experience, you know, working in the industry, grinding out those auditions. You really, you know what it's like going in, but you don't. And uh, getting all the no's, it humbled me. So coming back um, to Erie, I started to get more interested in telling my own stories and kind of transitioned more into filmmaking. But coming back to Erie, most people I knew were gone, and I kind of just stumbled upon the Film Society, and then later the Film Office, started meeting other local filmmakers. And in just a couple short years, I, I feel like I know every filmmaker in town and always know what projects are going on. I'm having a lot of fun shooting here in Erie. A lot of people might be like, well, you were in Hollywood. What what can Erie even offer? Like, there, There's probably no comparison. But for me, having the home base, there's tons of resources in town, and just the passionate people that are doing film here in Erie, for me, has made all the difference. And how old were you when you like moved out to LA throughout this whole process? Like, kind of what age were you at each stage? So after high school, I, I just worked for a couple years and moved to Hollywood. Well, I moved to Orange County when I was 21 and um, then moved to Hollywood and came back to Erie when I was 
25 and then have been here for the last, uh, I might have came back at 26, but I've been back in Erie for about four years. And so you started out more with like acting and stuff. So what made you and what made you sort of want to be behind the camera and like start making your own films? Uh, I actually was was just typing this up for um, an application for a program, but uh, I realized writing it why I kind of switched into filmmaking, and it was because going to all these auditions, a lot of the times they were just such boring stories. I would go for these roles, but you like you had to do it. You had to audition. You had to get paid. You know that was the grind, and people are so just locked into that mindset of, of the audition grind that they don't even think about what are the stories they're actually telling. They're more concerned about landing the role than the actual story. And very quickly, I stepped back and I said, I would much rather act in something that I'm either passionate about or I could just write it myself and act in it. So currently, there's some projects I have in mind to make that I, I will act in myself, and then other ones that I, I definitely want other actors to come in. And what kind of roles do you like to play? So comedy comes very naturally to me, and it's always fun. And I I still do a lot of theater, and comedy is like when I just want to take it easy. It's like not work. But what I really love is drama. I love watching drama and acting drama because those those deep emotions you get, everyone knows when they watch the films they love, and it just hits them in the right way. For me, that's what it's all about, and that's where the, the passion comes from. So tell us a little bit more about how you're involved in the film community in Erie. So I'm on the board at the Film Society with John and Stuart. I, I help with all the local events that they do, and then Stuart and I are both volunteers for the Film Society and the Film Office. So it's something we do on the side, but we've made a pretty large impact, I'd say, both with the visiting productions and people in town. So I get calls and messages frequently. Someone's looking for crew, locations, equipment, and I just point them in the right direction and help them get their projects made. All right, so Jesse, tell us more about magic and how that got you into acting. They, they were kind of intertwined. Um, the first time I went to New York City, I was about 10, and I saw, I went to F.A.O. Schwartz, which is closed now, a real famous toy store, but they had a line of magic tricks to buy called Marvin's Magic, and they had a demonstrator there, and he would perform the tricks to try and get you to buy them. So my brother, had he had always done magic. He's four years older than me, and like I could care less. I'm like, don't show me. I don't care. This is stupid. And we're in this toy store, and this guy gave a stack of quarters to a lady, and she put them in her hand, and he's like, shake them. And she's, she shakes them. You can hear them like, clinking inside. And he's like, what's in your hand? And she's like, well, quarters. He's like, open your hand. And she opens it, and they were pennies. And it shattered my sense of reality at that young age. And in the magic world, they call that getting bit by the magic bug. And once that happens, you are, you are forever on a quest to, to find out every secret and whatnot. So I did magic. You know, I wasn't good. I was young. But then I started theater in high school because it was just the only opportunity I had to perform. And it was about junior year when I started showing tricks to other high schoolers and everyone got really, everyone, I was kind of like a, not to toot my own horn, but a bit <laughs> of a celebrity. People were very hounding of me. You know, I'd go to one class, show me a trick. I'd go to the next class, show me a trick. So you were the cool guy. I, I, it was a, I wasn't the cool guy, but it was a cool thing I did. Um, honestly, I just loved the attention. So. <laughs> 
it wasn't until I got older after high school and I started like performing gigs for money and whatnot, I really started to think about the performance aspect of magic. And there's a really famous magician and he has a really famous quote that says, a magician is just an actor playing the part of a magician. And it's so true because uh, if you look at any popular magician, they have a certain persona to them, whether it's extravagant or funny or very mysterious, but most likely that's not their true nature and they're, they're putting something on. So it all kind of melded together, but I was very conscious that the kind of astonishment you can invoke from a spectator when doing magic was similar to the kind of feeling you could have watching a good film. So I, I really don't know why I switched from magic to acting, that big career move. I, I think people were just asking me so much that I got, I got tired of it. I preferred doing magic when people like didn't know I could do it and weren't expecting it. And then it got to the point where the whole town knew me, so <laughs> it lost its allure. I am curious, did you ever find out how to do the quarter trick? I did. That was actually <laughs> the first thing I bought. Um, <laughs> It was a little kit, and it came with, like, 40 other things. But um, And can you spoil how it's done or not? I cannot. It's <laughs> part of uh, Magic code. law, you're there not allowed. There is a code. So I actually uh, became a member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians, which is international. You're not allowed to reveal secrets. Are you still a member? Uh, an, a non-active member. But there is a local group that meets during 149, and there's still some magicians here in Erie. Give them a little shout out. But I got way better than the tricks I bought at the toy store. <laughs> but that was just practice. What was your name, like your stage name? Uh, I went by Jesse Ryan, which is my middle name. Okay. okay. Being an actor and a filmmaker, like, um, you know, you've experienced both sides of it. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what's your experience been with filmmakers and did you have any tips for filmmakers and maybe for actors as far as you know for them to work in better harmony what do you see as far as like directors lacking you know maybe skill or sympathy yeah. or empathy or I've seen uh, every level of production to hey will you help me shoot this I have my phone all the way up to big big productions. I'd say preparation is the number one thing that's overlooked. Pre-production, you should you're if you're the director, you should know the script front and back. You should know your shots front and back. And even if you're getting your friends to help you and you have a friend that's your DP or your cinematographer, don't rely on them to carry any of the weight. It comes down to you, especially if it's like a no budget, but it's a passionate project. I've been on sets where we're going through and we're shooting scenes and the director has to like grab the script and, and really read through like, what are we doing next? And I, I'm just, in my head, I'm like, amateur. <laughs> just know your script. Uh, the other piece of advice would be just to network as much as possible and get as many people to help you as you can. Barter, steal, maybe not steal, <laughs> but do what you can. The, the technology is so affordable now. You can get such stunning quality and even if you can't afford any cameras, you can get your dad's work lights, you can get cheap microphones, all the stuff you need to make good quality is there. really comes down to a good story, have a story you want to tell, and get the support you need to make it happen. So tell us about any future or current projects you're working on at the moment. I have so many projects in mind. <laughs> uh, this summer... We're, we're shooting a ton of stuff at my day job, and then I'm helping a couple of local filmmakers with their projects, short film kind of things, and 
what's coming for me, I'll give you guys a little taste, is that I'll be starting my own Patreon that is exclusively with my own content because I really don't want to have to play the marketing game of having to get funding that way. I think I have enough knowledge to build a community of supporters who will support me in my work and that I can make enough interesting things regularly that I could get some patrons and then eventually that will support itself and we'll just build up from there. So I, I'm not gonna go into the, the actual films, but good stuff is on the way. Can you tell us about Patreon? What is Patreon? So Patreon's an, an online platform that allows content creators and artists to receive gifts, gifted money for their work. So just like you know, in the old days, there were patrons of the arts who would support you know, a famous artist and they would give them money. This is uh, very similar. And it's very similar to crowdfunding like Kickstarter or uh, GoFundMe where the content creator can offer rewards. The difference is that it's not a one-time thing and it's continuous. And patrons can either back an artist monthly or uh, do it project-based. So if a filmmaker just wanted to get funds for one specific film, and then it would carry over to the next film. But uh, typically what you see is, you know, $1, I'll give you, you know, $2 a month, I'll give you a shout out on social media. $5 a month, I might give you recognition in the credits. But if you uh, are a filmmaker or any artist, uh, you should be on Patreon 100% because it's just probably the best platform to build that community of people. Because you will have people who want the reward and might give you know a couple bucks a month but other people I've talked to on Patreon a lot of the people that support them just do it because they enjoy their work draw comics if you make music whatever it is get on Patreon so when do you think you'll be launching this again <sighs> this summer okay <laughs> we won't press you this for summer more <laughs> don't hurt yourself thanks too I hope you'll support me once I launch I always support you Justin Thank you. Okay, so this week's roundtable discussion is the Pennsylvania Film Tax Credit. And how does it work? What is it used for? And how can you, as a filmmaker, take advantage of it? Okay, so Stu, what exactly is the Pennsylvania Film Tax Credit? Tax credit basically uh, helps foster growth and development of the state's film industry by providing a tax credit equal to approximately 25% of the production's qualified film expenses. This is provided that you spend at least 60% of your total budget inside the state of Pennsylvania. I know from some experience, I haven't actually taken advantage of the tax credit myself, but I know a few people who have, and it is a lot of paperwork, and it's a lot of work, but in the long run, it is totally worth it. They want the products, the films that are developed through the tax credit to be uh, shown nationally or internationally. They have to fall into feature films, TV films, talk show or game shows, pilots or episodes intended on being programmed for a national audience like Netflix or Amazon, and uh, which I believe is new, commercials they've added in now, but they have to be national commercials, not local commercials, and documentaries. So anybody who is working on a project that I just listed uh, can take advantage of the tax credit in Pennsylvania. And should. I think a lot of people um, that we've spoken to before, so just a little bit of background, Lion's Den Productions, my company has been awarded too, and you work, your day job, Jesse, is at Grant Larson Productions. Have they received tax credits? Mm-mm. Okay. But they, they're looking to in the future. Okay. 
but you did a lot of that paperwork mm-hmm. um, for yeah. Unearth, which we shot this summer. So, so Jesse and I have uh, good good experience in this area. But the thing that talking with people I've found um, about the tax credit is a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I hear they get those if you shoot a film in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh." Well, yes, but it's statewide. So if you're in Erie, Albion, Girard, anywhere. Poconos. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Just Pennsylvania. So as Stu said, if you spend at least 60% of your budget. Total and, budget. And that's pre-production, production, and post-production. If you spend at least 60% in the state, then you can get 25% of those expenditures back in a tax credit. The program's inception was back in 2007, and since then, over $600 million in film production tax credits have been awarded or approved to these companies that have applied, which in return, that means nearly $2.7 billion have been injected into the state's economy, basically is $593 million in total state and local taxes. And then they've also, through these tax credits, basically have supported an estimated 21,000 full-time equivalent jobs. Most people ask, too, where do they get these numbers from? Uh, They use Implan, which is an economic impact assessment software system. Personally, I think it's been working. I can tell you that if it wasn't for the film tax incentive, that a lot of productions wouldn't come to state of Pennsylvania. Um, I can tell you that, of course, Pittsburgh and Philly eat up a lot of the tax credits because they have a stronger... Uh, infrastructure for the film industry, uh, but that's what we're trying to change up here. Myself and Jesse uh, is to build our film office in Erie and inform people of the tax credit and who it's available to, how to apply for it, and to tell them to take advantage of it. And if I could just jump in and, and Please to, do. to break that down and, and really put it into perspective, uh, as the number Stuart gave you is the total economic impact over the last decade. So it's billions of dollars. This is a huge moneymaker. The interesting thing is, yes, pretty much all the money goes to Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, but the level of production, if you look at the details, there's some interesting facts. It's not just big blockbuster films like The Dark Knight that happened in Pittsburgh. The number of productions that had a million dollars or less was 252 in the last decade. That had budgets of a million dollars. That had budgets of a million dollars or less. So those could be little little pilot TV shows, uh, feature films, short films. Um, even like a $500,000 film, 252 of those projects were funded in the last decade, and that equated to just under $20 million. So if you think it's like not something you'd qualify for or this is too big for that, it's not, because of all that money that's gone out over the last decade, over 50% of all the films and projects in PA have had budgets of $1 million or under. So there's actually been more of the smaller projects than the bigger films that have been awarded money. Which is something that Erie County definitely can, can totally support. take advantage of. Right, we recognize that, and that's actually our target. That, those are the films that we want to bring into the region because we understand we're not going to be able to support at this moment a multi-million dollar budget, but we're working on it and we'll get there. Sure, but like a $300,000 film right. that needs no camera equipment we can do that all here in Erie with the resources that are here. Yeah, we're doing it right now as we speak. We have a documentary crew in town. They brought in 25 crew members. They've been staying at the local hotels three months. They've been here now almost a month, and they got two more months left. And We get constant phone calls from them on a daily basis asking for help, looking for this, looking for that. So uh, we know it works, and we know people are taking advantage of it.
So it was interesting your comment that, yeah, most of the money is going to Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but there is a reason for that. It's because filmmakers in Erie um, aren't applying for these tax credits. That's exactly it. Nobody in the Northwestern area is pretty much applying. I think maybe your film is the last one on yeah, record. I had assumed a... I wasn't the only one now, but maybe I'm still uh, the I only... looked at the... They ha- they list the titles on the report, right. and there were none in Erie County or Crawford. Or... There was one coming out of the wilds, PA Wilds, that I saw, and in uh, the Poconos I saw too. But not a single one was listed for the northwestern PA area. So I don't want to be the only person in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, I want some that's of that getting money. these tax credits. <laughs> so and really, they are very useful. So just I just uh, pulled up a calculator here. If you're making a film that has a budget of two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, just take that as an example. That would be a SAG ultra low budget uh, feature film. And you take that times 25%, that's $62,500. And on a film like that, if you spend 100% of your quarter of a million dollar budget in Pennsylvania, that's $62,500 in tax credits that you get back. We don't have to get into the weeds on what you do with those tax credits, but I can say that on our first production, um, we actually kept those tax credits in our company, Lion's Den Productions, and then we used that money when you would file your return each year. If you owed money you know, on your taxes, you would just steal from that tax credit award, and we didn't have to pay taxes for years after filing. The other option is, which we're going to do this time, is you can sell your tax credits for you know, like 80 cents or 90 cents on the dollar and get that back in actual cash. So think about, um, you know, how how $60,000 would help your budget, more things that you can do on your film. Um, it's a lot of paperwork, as you guys said, but uh, it's definitely worth the effort. And uh, in our future episodes, we'll bring on some um, accountants and lawyers and stuff t- that have experience in this to talk about how to actually go through the process. If, if you're like in the big leagues, if you're if you're getting to the level of production where you're going to have insurance and you're going to have a production manager to do like a budget or a line producer, which everybody should have insurance. I was just no going to say that. Their yeah, exactly. I mean, really, that should be. <laughs> the, that goes without saying. That should be the person that's working uh, most closely on the tax credit because the there is a narrative piece that where you kind of sell the project for the story but um the financials go hand in hand with it and they need to be super accurate yeah i mean and let's be honest if you want thousands of dollars in tax credits you're gonna have to put in the effort exactly they're not gonna just hand them out so don't they want like monthly or weekly reports also once you're awarded um if you're still in like post-production you have to submit monthly reports telling telling them where your financials are at each month. So if you were awarded and then two months later you had to pay at your editor or your your finalizing things, you have to show all that all those purchases, all your receipts. You have to reflect all that. Yeah. And as Jesse said, you want to be as accurate as you can because they'll give you an award amount and if you, you know, spend more than that, well they're not going to give you more tax credits, but obviously if you don't spend that amount you're under you know they'll give you less tax credits of course but yeah it's you have to be in control of your budget and um know what you're doing for sure you're dealing with the the state 
<laughs> so it's, it's important to be well organized. Would you give this position to one dedicated person or was this something that one person can take on multiple tasks? Like, should your director or your... Yeah. Not your director. Definitely your line producer or your unit production manager. Whoever's doing your... Or a production accountant. Yeah. Whoever's doing your books. But your budget. Your, your director will help with the initial application where they just kind of explain who they are, what the story is, what they're trying to accomplish. But once you get into the, the nitty-gritty of the, uh, the financials, that it can be done by one person for sure. I can say when we did, uh, when Dorota and I did There Are No Goodbyes, which is when we got our first award, um, I did all of the paperwork as well as <laughs> directing and editing and everything. So, you know, if you have a lower budget film, I mean, the budget for There Are No Goodbyes was like five or six thousand dollars. You you may not have money to put towards another person, but. Getting a crash course in it surely opened my eyes. And, <laughs> and the Pennsylvania film office is very helpful. Uh, I was calling them all the time and asking questions to make sure, you know, because you're nervous about filling out those forms wrong. So they're very helpful. Um, we really should have a uh, seminar or something in the We in should the do that again, yeah. We had one before, right? Yep, a couple years. A couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. Maybe we can get Janice up here. Janice Collier from the film office. Yeah. She's the tax guru down yeah, there. Yeah, she's great. Well, that wraps up our roundtable discussion on the Pennsylvania Film Tax Credit Program. Just to remind everybody, for more information on the tax credit program, go to filmnpa.com. You will see a drop-down for incentives, and then you also scroll down a little bit, and you'll see a link for the nitty-gritty, which will give you all the information that we just talked about, how to apply, who to talk to at the film office, and how to get your state film tax incentive credits. That's been our episode. Remember, you can buy tickets for Can You Ever Forgive Me at filmsocietynwpa.org or at the door. Doors open Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. And make sure you follow us on social media. You can find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. This podcast is produced by Edinburgh University's Center for Branding and Strategic Communication. It's part of the Northwest Pennsylvania Innovation Beehive Network.